Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. We're getting to the end of our study in Philippians. And uh, there's a message I want to bring here. It might seem a little bit out of our regular, um, uh, I don't know, pattern of preaching here. But what I want to talk about today is missions giving. Missions giving. Now you'd wonder why the book of Philippians would end on such a note. Why would it talk about what the church gave to Paul as he's in prison to help him minister to the saints and and he mentions it again how that uh, they had been giving to him throughout his ministry experience and that's what missions giving is all about. And so I want to bring some things in today. I got some testimonies I want to share with you from uh, Len Crow up in Cambodia and some of the things that God's doing there with the money that you gave them to uh, minister there. And I want to show you some of that and what God has done in some people's lives. But let's go to verse number 10. It says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound, Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to both to abound and to suffer need. So in the context here, he's talking about in the aspect of serving God, being a missionary, uh, depending on others to support you. Uh, it's different than when you go and clock in every morning and clock out every night and expect that paycheck uh, at the, your, your biweekly or monthly paycheck, whatever that is. He says, within this context of waiting on, uh, on support and waiting on people to help me, um, I'm content, and I'm trusting God in the midst of this. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have done well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians also know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, passage. Uh, Lord, I know when we talk about giving to missions or when it has to do with money, it's always uh, the uh, danger of turning off our ears. But Lord, I pray that this morning that you would help us to hear. That, Lord, we would see the great need that's around us in this world. And that we would see these missionaries out there as people that are giving up so much to reach these souls. And how that we need to be there for them. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon this message. I pray you'd use it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you a picture here. Len Crow. Um, 
he wrote me a text underneath this. He says, filling our boat with food for the floating church people. We can help feed 30 families for one month for $600 a month. Praise the Lord, this is your mission's money at work in Cambodia. Now this is, I, I, I start with this, but this isn't the crux of what they do. But you think about that, $600 a month, 30 families. When we took up an offering here at this church, when they came through in July, we gave them $8,000. Now I want you to understand how many families you just impacted by giving it into the hands of these missionaries. He says, may God continue to bless you and your church. He's writing this to us specifically, your church people for their giving to missions. Um, he's another man. This man was led to Christ three months ago by Pastor Sarath. One of the pastors we are supporting, this new Christian man is so excited about the Lord. They are holding church in his house now. And Pastor Sarath comes and preaches every week. He lives two kilometers from the Vietnam border. He was a commander in the Viet Cong fighting during the Vietnam War. Then acted as a commander in the Mur Rouge Army. He goes on to say, praise the Lord. Today, he is in the Lord's Army. Amen. This one has just really touched my heart. This is Pastor David of the Floating Village. And the Floating Village is simply a village that is on the water because they're not allowed to actually settle on the property in Cambodia. So everything they do is on the water. They even, when their people die, they, they can't bury them in land. He says sometimes they hang them on trees, sometimes they have to put them in the water, whatever, and that's the way that things are with them. And so they eat from the lot from the river itself. And I'll maybe show you. Did you get those videos, Ben? Are they there? Okay, just hold on to them. This is Pastor David of the Floating Village and Church, Village Church and his family. David was four years old when he found himself running with crowds of people to escape the fighting during the Vietnam War. He was separated from his family when he reached the river. Someone tried, tried to help by grabbing his arm and put him on the boat, thinking his family was on the boat. Another family took him in and cared for him till he was 12 years old. Living on the water was difficult and soon the family could no longer care for him. He got on land and made his way to Phnom Penh where he got into trouble. In time, he trusted Christ as his savior. At 22 years old, he returned to Vietnam to try and find his family. 18 years had passed and all he could recall was a large unusual tree outside his house. He remembered the general area and prayed God would help him find his home. In time, he found the tree and his house. He knocked on the door and a woman answered. She said, who are you and what do you want? He said, I am Rith. She paused, then screamed and stepped back. She had long ago thought that her four-year-old boy was dead. In time, Pastor David led his mom to Christ after being separated for 18 years. She is in heaven today, awaiting her son once again. Whew, that touches my heart. Boy, we think we have a tough, you know? Four years old, 
It's another picture he sent. He said, there were 17 baptized in the river today in Kampong Cham. And there they are. Now, Ben, why don't you play the video there? Let's, you remember the, well, play the one on the, the, uh, the, um, the uh, floating village one first. I think it's where he's getting lunch. Oh, there you go. I didn't choose the music. mountain ministry in the garbage dump. It's a short video, but it helps us see. That's where those children live, on that, uh, on that mountain in that garbage dump. And uh, Brother Len had told us that uh, he, there was a couple of, uh, one family where the mother wanted him to take the children off of the garbage dump and bring them to the orphanage. And by the time that he got to them, uh, a machine had come in and the whole family was killed as they were being pushed underneath the garbage. And so it's just a dangerous place. I mean, filth and rats and so forth. And he's going to this place and ministering to these people. And so I just wanted you to see a little bit of what your missions money is going to. And so we gave 8,000. I'm not opposed to taking them on on a monthly basis. And that's something we can maybe do as time goes on here. Uh, but he wanted us to know he's been very grateful for all those funds that we sent uh, to them. It makes a huge impact in a place like that. And so I'm so grateful for your missions giving. And, and I thought in light of the topic of the message, I just wanted you to see that. And I told him that I'd be showing you that today. So I'm sure he's praying about that, uh, that you'd be touched once again. There's, there's several ways that we can help global missions. And one of those ways is we give in missions giving. Another way is we pray for them. And we pray that God does a work and, and helps them and souls get saved and another way is that you go yourself. And you say, what? I mean, don't missionaries come from missionary land? No. Missionaries come from people in a church like this that keep their heart clean, that love God, and are willing for God to use them in whatever way possible. All that we can really say at any given time is, Lord, I don't know what you want, but I just want to let you know that your desires are my desires. That means whatever you want, that's what I want. And if you can filter out what you want and make everything that he wants in your life, you are a prime candidate that God may use to go win people like this. Or stay in a church and faithfully, we need people that are totally surrendered to the Lord in God's house. You know, it doesn't work by itself, you know. 
And that's all a part of the missions. What we do here is about missions. It's about winning souls. This isn't just about gathering. This isn't just about having a good time. This is about stirring our hearts, getting our hearts right, and being a part of a, a global plan, a global commission that Christ left us to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then once we lose that heart, we've lost the heart of God. And that's why we want to keep that heart very uh, in the center of this church in, in relation to missions. My first ministry, we had a small church running 40, 50 people. I kept, keep telling Allie about it. She says, I don't remember. <laughs> she says, you got a good memory. No, it's just, I remember. <laughs> and so, but she was there in my first ministry and her family. And uh, we, we took this missions giving very seriously. And we had, we had people in our congregation that were in, uh, I remember one person was actually on welfare at one point, And yet they continued to give $400 a month, not to tithe, but to missions. The 400 went to missions, and then they tithed 10% of their income. And so I've seen, I've seen God do great things with that little church. We ended up supporting 24 missionaries, a month, uh, 24 missionaries and supported them every month. And that little church of broken homes, of high-maintenance situations, in a very dark place, and yet the Lord gave us that privilege to be used in that way. And God always used us. And we saw souls saved there. We saw souls saved overseas. We saw missionaries. I mean, God just, you know, I had so many missionaries come through. People would say, how do you afford to get all these people in? I said, I don't know. I don't think about it. <laughs> Amen. I just, want to, I just want missionaries to come. And, and I probably had every month I had a missionary come in and stir the hearts of the people for the souls around the world. And that's how we did it. And so I want to just put this emphasis, you know, starting December, we're looking at Christmas time. I want you to remember this. Christmas time is missions time. Christmas time is where Jesus came and gave himself on the cross of Calvary. He, he came as a little baby to be born. Why did he take upon himself the form of man? Why did he incorporate that nature into himself so he could suffer in your place? So he could die in your place. So he could take the place of man in, in, a, in a penalty that man needed to pay. That's missions. And that same heart has to be transferred over to every Christian that has received Christ. And we have to look at the work in the same way and have the same sacrificial heart where we give ourselves completely to the things of God, to what God wants for our lives. And I just believe if all of us, and it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes you say, well, I don't want to surrender because you may call me to Africa. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something, if you keep up that attitude, he'll never call you anywhere. And he'll not even use you here. You understand that? Because you're already closing the door on God. What we need to do as God's people is say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to let money, situations, this, that, or the other get put in my way. I want to do the will of the Lord. Now, that may be you're faithful here. And we need people faithful in the house of God. We've got a great work ahead of us. We've got millions of people that we need to reach in our areas for Christ. And we need faithful people for that. But there's also billions of people in this world that we have to reach out and have a part of reaching them as well. And so Paul said, your care of me hath flourished again. It flourished again. That means that they have supported him in the past 
and now they're supporting again. They didn't look at Paul as, oh, we'll just give him a little bit now, and then he's off of our mind, our, our conscience is salved. No, they kept their mind and heart upon him and said, when Paul has a need, we're going to take care of this missionary. And, and that where he says to me, where it says to flourished, it means to be revived. It means to shoot up or sprout again. And so it's kind of like, a, and it says grow green again. So it's something that was there, it grew up, it sprouted up, and then it was gone for a while, then it sprouted up again, <laughs> amen? Many times I feel that way with missionaries, how that, you know, we'll read their letters, and also I see that there's, I remember with uh, the Politians, we, they had a window that broke in their vehicle. And the Lord just put it on my heart, you need to help this family. And so I went to you folks, and I said, guys, we need to help this family get this window paid off, and we did. And so what happened is, even though we were giving every month, some more, some more help sprouted up to them. And our care for them flourished again. Amen? And that's why we keep our ears to the rail. That's why we keep thinking about them and praying for them, because then we're in tune with where they're at and what they need. And we will do that same thing again if a person has a need, if a family has a need. So Paul was noting here, that the church had once again supported him in his ministry and he was grateful. He goes on to say, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And that's what I'm saying here. The word careful means to exercise the mind. That means we can't just think about missions as something that comes across once a year when we have our missions uh, conference. We have to constantly be exercising our mind towards our missionaries and towards what God wants to do globally through these missionaries. And as we do that, then he says, but you lacked opportunity. That means that th there, wasn't an, there, was a, in, there wasn't an opportune time for them to give it. Now, why would that be? For us, it's easy. You know, because all I have to do is send an e-transfer, send a check, whatever. It's easy to get missions money to the missionary. But you know what? With Paul, they didn't even know where he was. He wasn't texting them, his, you know, sending off a pin. This is where I am. They had to actually had to send Epaphroditus to, to find him, to give him the gift. Imagine we've had to do that with our missions giving. Neil, we need to send you off a little trip. You can't take the train or car. You got to walk. <laughs> we'll give you a mule. How's that? Wow, they meant business. They meant business. They exercised their mind and they were looking for a way. How can we help Paul? How can we be a blessing to him? But they didn't have the opportunity because they didn't know where he was. I don't know how to get it to him. I don't know how to help him. Where is he? What need does he have? And they were so concerned and yet he didn't know. They didn't know. Finally, it came to them that he was in prison. And immediately they sent one of their men, guys, take this gift and go there. How many of us would leave our lives to go say, I'll take it there, pastor. I'll go on the trip. And it meant peril. It meant robbers. It meant danger. It meant sickness. In fact, he got sick when he was there. Almost to death, the Bible says, this, this messenger of the church. And he was so concerned that people would be worried about him. He didn't want them to think about him. But Paul let it cat out of the bag. He said, hey, he's sick over here. And he did that for, for me and for you and for the work of God. Wow. What a heart for missions, amen? That's what it's about. So 
We need to first take interest and then we need to take the opportunity. You're not going to take the opportunity without the interest. And to take the interest, we have to make a definite decision to settle and exercise our minds on what God has for us. And folks, I know that there's people, missionaries, that God's going to bring into our lives that he has pre-designed for our church. I've felt that in the, in the past many times where a missionary came through and I knew that God wanted us to be a part of what they were doing over there. Amen? And I don't know if you're feeling the same way as you look at Brother Crow, what's happening in Cambodia. Every now and then, you know, you get a bunch of missionaries come through, maybe you don't get a strong draw to it, but every now and then you get somebody come through and you know what, God wants us to be there. <laughs> Those are the people that maybe God wants us to have a missions trip. And he wants to bring our young people there and to see the work. Maybe God is calling somebody out of our congregation to go there and to further the work in that area. But God's going to do this. But we have to first take interest. And then as we take interest, we have to take the opportunity. They were looking for an opportunity. They couldn't find the opportunity. And finally, the opportunity came up. And when they found it, they took it. Amen? And we need to do that as well. So Paul notes that they were careful or setting their affections on, on taking, or taking interest in taking care of him. But they didn't have the opportune time to do it. They didn't know where he was. Now I'm going to give you a couple points in this message. We'll be done. Number one, the responsibility of supporting missions. It's not the government's obligation. It's not only the pastor's obligation. It's not just the obligation of just a couple in this congregation. It is the obligation of the church of God. All of us here today, we are all held responsible for, for reaching this world for Christ. It was given in, in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. Or, or Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it tells us the Great Commission of Lord Jesus Christ. We have all been given that responsibility and that command. All of us need to preach the gospel. All of us need to be baptized and to baptize others. And all of us need to be discipled and to disciple others. And that is for every soul on this planet. Amen. Those three things are important. Notwithstanding in verse 14, he says, You've done well that you did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once again unto my necessity. So these first century churches had an opportunity to support the greatest missionary aside from Christ. And many of them forsook that privilege. What if there was the greatest missionary on earth? Let's say uh, Hudson Taylor, let's say Adoniram Judson would come into the church today. Oh, I've heard of him. Let's support him. <laughs> but you know, the Apostle Paul said, as much as the needs that I have, no churches communicate with me except for you. The greatest missionary on the planet at that time. We see this church is supplying his need as they had many times in the past. He says, you send unto me once and again unto my necessity. That means my employment my demand, my requirement. He says, I need money. We need to keep this going. Folks, there's not a missionary out there that does not need funds to keep going. 
It's just how they get those funds and how the Lord brings those funds into their life. There's no missionary that's going to go overseas and just do it without any funds. <laughs> they need it. Everything needs to be paid, you know. I remember Adnair Judson, he actually left, I believe he was a Congregationalist when he left North America. And of course, he was going to Burma and by boat. And on the way, he met a Baptist preacher. Now they're spending months on this boat floating along. By the time he got to the shores, this Baptist preacher had convinced him of the errors that he believed in, in the infant baptism, the sprinkling, and so forth. And this Baptist preacher actually baptized him along the way on that ocean voyage. When he got to the other end, his conscience began to work on him. And he said, you know what? Here I have my funds coming from this congregationalist uh, missions agency, but I'm no longer a congregationalist. I'm actually a Baptist. <laughs> and so he sent a line back and said, I can no longer in good conscience take your money. So I'd like, you to, I'd like to ask you to stop sending funds to me. Here he left everything. <laughs> He's got nothing. He gets to the mission field and he says, by his own conscience, I cannot take your money. But the Lord began to work in churches, independent churches. And they began to take care of him and send him money so he could continue along the way. Man, that's faith. <laughs> it's not even like today. Today, I mean, if you don't have money somewhere, someone can wire you something. It, it was different back then. And yet he did it. That's a missionary, amen? That's a missionary with a conscience, a missionary that has principles that he lives by. That's a missionary, that's a missionary I would like to support, amen? The philosophy of this church in Philippi was to support missions as much as they could. This is the philosophy that I would like for our church. I would like to support missions for as much as we can, as much as we can. To me, that's so important that we give to missions and we never let that die. If that dies in our church, our church dies. If we lose the heart for souls around this world, we lose our church. Why would he bless us? Why would he take care of us when we don't care about souls? Oh, don't let the devil steal away your burden. Amen. And he will try and he is working. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Let her be. We know by this church that the financial position of a church has nothing to do with their support of missions. In fact, the Apostle Paul this time was ministering, or during his ministry, was ministering to some of the most richest places, but he was being supported by the poorest churches. Something throughout my ministry experience that I have understood, and it's not always so, because you do get some good Christian men that have money, but most of the time, Missions giving is not by the rich, it's by the poor. It's not by one person giving $100,000. It's by many people giving $10, $20, $100. Folks, you know what it is? It's, it's God touching your heart to give, no matter what it is he's touched your heart to give towards the missions of the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, church at Corinth was a very rich church. It was a very rich area. 
And this is what he said, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, and that was the, Phili- the, the Philippi church there, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. What a great truth that is. So here he was taking... Uh, missions money from a church that couldn't that, that was in deep poverty and he was using that to reach people that were in great <laughs> that were abounding and that's how many times it is folks it's not about our financial status how, how far we can go into this work of reaching souls all over this world it has to do with this heart right here if all of our hearts were given over to the work of God It doesn't matter what your T4 says. God will use it. He will multiply it. And God will be able to reach many souls through Energy Baptist Church. I want to look at number two, the fruit of of supporting missionaries. In verse 17, he says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Fruit is a produce of something you have done. It is profit from the investment. Now, I don't know about you, when I invest something, I do want something back. (laughs) Amen. The fact of the matter is the Lord does too. We see that throughout the New Testament where where he gives the talent to the servant and he he wants them to to, uh, increase that. And the one that didn't, the one that just hid it in the ground and wouldn't use it, he says, oh, you're a wicked servant. He's at least you should have done is just put it in the bank and let the you know, two cents of interest gather on it, but you hid it in the ground. Was not willing to put the money that he had to work to invest in others. And folks, we need to look at our money that way. We need to stop looking at it as, oh, this is $100. I could have bought this. I could have done that. You got to look at that $100 saying, this is a seed to the salvation of souls. This is something God's going to use to reach Cambodians for Christ in the, on the floating village or maybe in that smoking mountain garbage dump ministry. We, we can't look at it as, oh, well, I could buy another present for my kids at Christmas time or I could do this, that, or the other. We need to say, you know what? I need to keep looking at the investment I'm making in souls because there is fruit that will come out of this. Something will be produced as we be a part of this. Now, I want to make sure if we're sending the money to someone that that person we're sending it to will reproduce it. They're doing the work. And I believe we are. And that's why we get videos and pictures like that so we see the evidence that God is working. There's a principle of sowing and reaping. In Philippians 4.15, it says, now you, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye, ye only. In the, in the scripture, the word communicate, that's an important word. These days we look at communicate as, oh, I'm talking to someone, I'm communicating. And that's really the only context that we in our modern day use the word communicate. And that's why, folks, can I tell you this a little off lesson here? That's why we don't mess with the word of God. Because you could say, oh, well, communicate. Let's change that to talk. 
No, God put that word there for a reason. Because it's far larger than just me and you talking. In fact, the word communicate means to share with others. So when I'm communicating, whether it be by talking, whether it be whatever, giving, uh, what I'm doing is I'm sharing a part of myself with that person. That's communication. Because you can't just communicate with your mouth, you actually communicate with your eyes. You communicate with your face. I see it all the time in the church. <laughs> People many times communicate with me in a very funny way. <laughs> uh, most of it's like, hey, yeah, preacher, keep preaching. Thank you. I like that kind of communication. Amen. The other one, not so much. Galatians 6, verse 6, it says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. That's a good verse. So what he's talking about there is supporting someone that is teaching the word of God to others. Then it goes on to say, and this is the context. Now we've used this verse in many different applications, but this is the context. It says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. What's the context of that principle? (laughs) The context is our giving. Communicating. See, folks, we sometimes, well, I can't afford to give to God. (laughs) I've come to the conclusion, I cannot afford not to give to God. I've found in my life that if I pull back from God, I suffer. And I have found when I am faithful giving to God, I don't suffer financially. He always takes care. Amen? I cannot afford not to give. (laughs) Amen? And that's the way we need to think because God is real. These principles are true. If we sow, if we sow in the right way to the Spirit, we will reap. He will take care of us. And that we also see in this, uh, in this passage where he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Amen? And so it's dealing with giving to those that are ministering to the people in the word of God. Those that support those that minister in the word of God will receive back for their supply. If we sow to the spiritual, which is a saving and building of souls for God's glory, we will reap eternal rewards. There is fruit based on that. There is a fruit to our missions giving. It's a law as much as the law of gravity is the law of sowing and reaping. You jump off this roof today, you're going to hit the ground and hurt yourself. You give to missions, he is going to give you fruit back to your account. Amen? Amen. Same principle just as strong, just as powerful. The fruit we actually save, actually receive is souls. What is the fruit of a Christian? Well, it's more Christians. And that's what we want to abound. And that can be abounding to your account. That more people are being saved. Every soul we saw there, every person that's saved through our ministry, through our impact of communicating with uh, Brother Crow is fruit to our account here at Energy Baptist Church. I think we got to build a big account, amen? Don't you? 
Don't you think we ought to give ourselves to that? When we do it at home, we say, oh, I'm going to make some decisions here where I'm going to get a big account and I'm going to save lots of money. And we think that's so frugal and that's so wise and I'm going to do so well. But the, the fact of the matter is this, when you die, you're going out naked. You're not bringing it with you. But what you will bring with you is the fruit. And the Bible says that that last day when Jesus Christ comes again, you're going to see these souls and you're going to, they're going to be your crown. You're rejoicing. Your bank account will be long gone from your memory. Amen. The most important thing, that's why we take some of these temporal carnal things and we put them into the work of God so they translate into eternal uh, things that go on forever and ever. Amen. But boy, the battle in our soul. Oh, that preacher just wants money. That's one of the battles. Amen. I'm not going to get to any church. <laughs> I've heard that over and over and over again. That's why we have a separate program called Faith Promise Giving. <laughs> Faith Promise Giving does not go towards the lighting here. We wouldn't pay for lighting anyways, but for the rent. It does not go to take care of uh, preachers here, guest preachers, banquets, and uh, things that we need. Faith promise giving, every cent of it goes to missionaries. Amen. Every cent of it. That is a special account that just goes to these great men and women of God that are out there giving their lives so that souls can be saved. And we're investing into them and they're reproducing back to us souls that are being placed into our spiritual account. Amen. So that one day when we meet the Lord, He's going to check out our bank account, all right. <laughs> but not this one down here where we're putting money in. But the one that we're putting the fruit of souls in. Amen. The sacrifice of supporting missionaries. It says in verse 18, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Many times we think, why would that be so great, giving money? God doesn't need our money. It's not the money. It's the sacrifice. You understand? You can have a million dollars and give 100,000 of it. You know? Or you could give a million dollars and the, hey, preacher, I'm going to give $1,000 of missions. Whoa! But according to your million, it's not very much. Is it a sacrifice? Is it a sacrifice? one lady we had in our church $400 a month to missions single mother I, I didn't know what to say I didn't know how to you know you want to tell her hey you don't have to give that much <laughs> you know, but you don't because God's taking care of her well, why would I say that all I can do is to say do what you know God wants you to do and let it be a sacrifice. Amen. Well, this is only what I can afford. Well, start looking at all the things that you have that you don't really need. Amen. And then we'll start talking sacrifice. Amen. That's what he's saying. It's, it's a smell, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. When we give something that costs us, it pleases God. That's why Hebrews 13.6 it says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for such sacrifices God is well pleased. 
That's the principle that we saw with David in 2 Samuel 24. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. He, he said, hey, king, I'll give all this to you. You just go ahead and use it. He says, no, sir. There's no way I'm offering anything to God unless it costs me something. Yeah, many of us would say, oh, look, I got to give this. What did it cost you? What did it cost you? Amen? Why is that so important? See, it's not about your money. It's not about the physical things. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, it says, Ye also as lively stones are built up in the spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So it's not necessarily talking about how much money you're giving. It's talking about the spiritual transaction that takes place when you give it. What's going on in your heart? Your love in your heart for Christ. Your desire to sacrifice and to give and to be a part of God's work. It's not just something to do to salve your conscience. It's not just something to do because everybody else is doing it. It's something to do because God is doing something in your heart and you're like a priest offering up to him a sacrifice that costs you something. And he smells that and he says, Oh, that smells so good to me because it reminds me of my son. Any sacrifice you give has to be in accordance with the Lord Jesus Christ and how he gave himself on the cross for you. That's the characteristic of our giving. Amen. I know we have tithing, and here's my third week in a row I mentioned tithing. Tithe and offering is a law. And we're only giving what we ought to by law. We're just simply giving a tithe means a tenth. That means a 10% of, of all of our increase. We give it to the Lord because we know that he is the God of heaven, that he's created all things, and he deserves the tenth of everything I have. That's the commitment that Jacob made when he had his head on the rock, getting that uh, vision of the ladder from heaven. He says, Lord, if this is what you are, if this is who you are, I will give you a tenth of everything I've got till the day I die. Abraham offered tithes to Melchizedek. Long before the Old Testament law even came into play, the Mosaic law, he was already tithing. What? Because he knew that God was the God of heaven that made all things and he was worthy of everything that he had and he was willing to give 10% of everything he had to the Lord. And you know what? We need to do that. That became the law. He said, I'm not under the law. Neither was Abraham. Neither was Jacob. Amen. Moses came later with the Mosaic Law. When Jesus came on the scene and the Pharisees made a big deal about tithing and they did all these things and they were, they were counting on the, the acts of the law to get their blessing and Jesus said this to them, he says, these things, tithing and the giving and so forth, you ought to have done. But he says, but not leave the other undone. Judgment, mercy. So he didn't nullify tithing in the New Testament. In fact, he reaffirmed it. But what he did is he added something to it. 
He says, you did these things that you ought to do, but now there's things that are beyond what you ought to do that you ought to be doing. And that's missions giving. See, I don't think anybody that is not tithing should give to missions. It starts doing what you know you ought to do, and then it ends up doing what you don't have to do, and you're giving from your heart as a spiritual sacrifice unto the Lord. Amen? Now watch our mission giving go in half. (laughs) Amen? Please don't do that. Well, do what you have to do. But can I encourage you to tithe first, and after your tithe, then consider what you can do for world missions from your heart, and that becomes a spiritual sacrifice unto the Lord. Supporting missions is a love sacrifice beyond the law, well-pleasing to God. The law is simply just something you ought to do. God's looking at you doing the law and saying, why you want me to pat you on the back? The law is just simply telling you what you ought to do and you should have been doing. And anything less than the law is something you never should have been doing. So why do you want a pat on the back for doing what you should be doing? He says, you want a pat on the back? Do something beyond. That's what the Lord says. In fact, the law of that day would command the Jewish people, if, if a Roman soldier would come up to them and say, you need, to, you need to carry my pack with me, by law, they had to carry it one mile with them. And that's why Jesus said, if they compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. The law is compelling. You do it by law. I'm going to do this. Some people, the moment they hit that mile marker, would take that pack off their back and throw it on the ground. Say, there, carry it yourself. You're good for nothing, Roman. There's a lot of animosity and bitterness. But he says, you want to be beyond that? You want to be a child of grace? Grace is not nullifying the law. Grace is becoming greater than the law. A lot of people think grace is now I can do whatever I want. No, grace is the fulfillment of the law. Without grace, you cannot fulfill the law. But with grace, you will always fulfill the law. And not just that, you'll go beyond the law and you'll go twain instead of one. Amen. The tithe is the first mile marker. Faith promises your second mile marker. So don't do the second mile before you got the first. But folks, if you've got to look at God and ask him, can I trust you to do what you've asked me to do? Can I trust you to give to you what, what is rightfully yours? Then you've got to ask yourself, are you truly saved? <laughs> I don't have a doubt in my mind. I don't care how many bills we got piled up. I don't care what's coming down the road. Folks, a tenth of our money is automatically God's. I don't care if it's a Alberta credit, uh, provincial credit check. I don't care if it's family allowance. I don't care if it's a special gift from family. I don't care this, that, or the other. It's a part of my increase, and a 10% of that goes to my God. That's just simply first mile. But I don't want to stop there. I'm going second mile. That's the sacrifice. That's where the Lord takes notice. That's where he takes that deep breath and he smells it in. My son! This is my son! His son is not just in the first mile. His son is the second mile. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ, my friend. We've got to learn to live that second mile of Christianity. And if we don't, 
will never please God. I want to please him. Amen. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8. This is what he says, and we'll be done. I speak not by commandment. That means I'm not commanding you here, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. He says, I'm not commanding you to give this. I'm giving you an opportunity to prove your love to God. That's missions giving. Amen. It's not tithe. Tithe isn't a proving of your love. It may be a proof of your trust. But a proof of your love. That's where you're beyond just what you have to do. And now you're doing what I don't have to do. Not by commandment. But I'm doing this because I love you, God. I don't want to be a part of your work. I want to reach those Cambodian kids on the, on the garbage dump. Because I love them. And I love them because you love them first. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Many times we say, but then how do you know? How do you know it's going to be okay for me if I give so much, if I give more? That's why he said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You're not going to end up owing God in the end or he's not going to owe you. Anything you've ever given him, he will give it back tenfold. The account will always be on his side. Don't worry about that. But we need today our Christians that are not just doing the 10%, not just doing the first mile. We need Christians that are going beyond and loving souls all over the world and giving of their life, of everything they have for those souls. And that the Lord takes into his nostrils. He says, this reminds me of what my son did on that cross 2,000 years ago. And that's how we keep Jesus Christ alive in the minds of people as we show how that his sacrifice impacted us.